Welcome to an incomplete guide to world domination, a podcast by creators for creators, because together we can take over the world. I'm your host, Brianna Toiber. Uh, my name's Daniel Nahara. Um, I've been in the animation, game, visual effects industry for about 18 years now, give or take. I've been passionate about art, computers, video games basically since I was a little kid, specifically like movies in general. What got you started like looking into this as a career? So I basically was going to school and all I knew is I liked art. I knew artists didn't make money. Um, I started dabbling in computer science in middle school and that continued through high school. And I was doing okay there, but I knew I don't really want to be a programmer necessarily. I was getting it, but I was like, eh, if I have to make a living at that, that'll be fine, I guess, or whatever. Uh, When college time came around, I basically, my parents were asking me, so what do you want to go to college for? I was like, I still don't really know. And my parents always taught me to be kind of frugal and everything. So I was like, well, I don't want you guys to spend a bunch of money. I knew they would do pretty much anything that I asked them for, even if they couldn't afford it. So I went to um, the community college down the street, Richland College, uh, and they had a graphic design or I think they just called it a graphic certification. Like there was a no graphic design type of label to it. And all I knew is I would be around computers and I would be doing art. I was like, okay, that'll be fun. And that was going to be a year. And I was like, okay, well, I'll figure something out in a year. And this will, my parents just wanted to keep me busy, you know, because like they knew if I just slacked off for the summer. That would be it. Exactly. So I was like, well, I'll take the summer to figure it out. They were like, summer? No, no. You graduated in middle of May. It's uh, the end of May now. You Summer semester starts in a week. You're going to be there June 5th or whatever, you know, that day was. So they put me in there and I was really grateful actually looking back on it because yeah, I would just, you know, twiddle my thumbs and just figured it out, you know, and who knows, probably wouldn't have done anything. I know for the summers, but I didn't have to do anything. I didn't get a whole lot done. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's just like something about being a creative is like the second you stop moving for a long period of time, it's really hard to get started again. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the inverse of that. If you have this anxiety, you're like, if, if I just stop for like one day and don't do anything for a day, that's going to be it. I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm going to be stuck here. And it's uh, anxiety sucks. Yeah. Especially once you find your passion, because at that, at that point I hadn't found exactly my drive i just knew i wanted to do art and i was just doodling on the side so it's kind of like you know there was just so many ways i could have gone and most of the ways i didn't even know existed at that time i kind of knew like you know visual effects existed but i was like that's not a real job and who actually does that it wasn't even on my radar uh, until like i think it was like the second quarter of that graphic design uh certification that was doing pretty good i was feeling pretty good. I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Uh, But I hit a, there was a 3D animation class. I think it was just called 3D. I don't even think it was called animation or anything. So I didn't know what I was getting into, but it was on the curriculum. So I took it and that was a Saturday around 10 a.m. Ew. I didn't leave that room till 10 p.m. that night. I spent 12 hours first day of class in that room because the teacher was like, yeah, yeah, you can keep on working. And he was kept on showing us stuff. Uh, we went to lunch that afternoon. And then we just came back to the classroom. We just kept on doing, you know, stuff. And I was like, this is so cool. And I came home to my parents. I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know, you know, who teaches this more or anything. And I don't know where I'm going to go from this. But I know I want to be behind this digital 3D thing, you know. So did everyone stay for that entire period or was it just like a couple of you? I think there was about maybe 18 people uh, who started in that class and maybe five of us stayed. Uh, I I think me and maybe one other guy stayed till like 10 p.m. But yeah, most people either 
stayed to the first for the first hour and then like i said a few stayed you know for a few more hours uh, and then i was just in that classroom as much as i could get into that classroom i don't think i've ever spent that much time in a classroom but then again what i like to do writing you can do that pretty much anywhere you don't need a whole lot of fancy stuff for it yeah yeah and especially at the time like i think this one classroom was the only classroom that had the software. Yeah. So there was there was no other classroom to go to. I didn't, you know, I, I went at that time, I wouldn't even known like how to get the software. I think at the time you had to order the software online. So you couldn't even like um, download it really at the yeah. time. I think it was like another year before I was able to get like my hands on it, you know, all the time. Yeah, I've been there where you have to go into the classroom. It's not fun. <laughs> especially when you're in that classroom trying to work on a video project and you realize your computer ate part of your interview. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was like, that was like 2000. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the very end tail end of 1999. So that's tells you how long it got. like internet was there, but it was going to take you forever to do downloads or anything like that. So around when I was starting, like, about to go into elementary school. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm used to just kind of looking around being like, I'm the youngest person here, aren't I? <laughs> I still am the youngest person in my office for the most, well, in my department, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. So what happened after you got that certification? Then uh, I finished the certification for the next year. I only took maybe one or two more 3D classes. No, just one more 3D class. Everything else was graphic design, Photoshop. And again, that was really cool because I was still drawing and I was still doing art. And at that time we started researching like Art Institute. Dallas was really the only people teaching like 3D, 3D Studio Max and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty much a no brainer for me to go there. Anything else I would have had to either gone across the country I would have had to like learn computer science. I think like AM was teaching it, you know, stuff like that. But I knew I didn't want to be a programmer. So that stuff didn't seem very interesting. And uh, so I went to Art Institute. Art Institute had a dedicated 3D program. They gave you one quarter to like kind of just, you know, learn what it is to be in this field and teach it very generally, fine art, you know. And then after that, you again no breaks there you had a week off and then you would go back every quarter so it was still pretty fast you have like a week to decompress and then you get right back into the deep end yeah exactly i think the longest break we ever took was a two-week break and i think that was because of christmas maybe that actually sounds like a good way to do it because like you you just forget so much over the summers Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, even to this day, if I step away from the computer for a week, I'm, I feel kind of weird. Um, my hotkeys, I forget my hotkeys. And, you know, it takes me a good, like, few hours to just, you know, get going, especially after a long vacation. So I don't take very many long vacations from my computer um, anymore. <laughs> I try to always, like, my wife hates it because I always have, like, a freelancer uh, gig, like, on around the corner. And... Sure enough, like every time we plan a vacation, it's like, okay, um, what laptop can we bring? She's like, why? I'm like, well, because I'm probably going to have a freelance guy call and I'm probably going to need to work for him. And why not? I mean, we're going to party all night and then you're going to sleep in the middle of the day and I'm going to work in the middle of the day. So it works out, right? <laughs> so sometimes it does, sometimes it's not. <laughs> Yeah, the last actual vacation I took that lasted longer than two days was Thanksgiving last year. And November is National Novel Writing Month. So I don't think I really actually took much of a break. I was too busy writing the whole time and balancing the side gig I had going on, which was the interim managing editor of a publication. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how to stop. <laughs> yeah and that's um it's definitely something i try to um mitigate and i try to like when i do stop i try to make it very fun you know i try to go i don't try to just sit in you know at home 
and watch 10 hours of TV, although I have done that. But I try to, like, go out, do something outside, meet with friends. You know, I tell people, you know, if you can, you know, and you only get these, like, especially when you're in crunch time, you only get, like, let's say one day off in a three-week period, you know, and you have all these friendships that you're trying to cling to, you know, try to get them all together in one place, you know, instead of like trying to see Bob on the east side of Dallas and then um, Robert, you know, on the north side, you know, try to just have all of them come to one place, then you can kind of consolidate all your friendships together. That way, like, you're not feeling like a complete asshole. Like, dude, I haven't seen you. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I don't want to drive out, you know, an hour just to see one person. It's kind of weird, but it's kind of the truth of, truth of the matter. Sometimes you just don't have time. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to get everyone together. That way uh, I see everyone and then I can get back to it tomorrow and get back to what I need to do. Yeah, and sometimes you just need to spend time with people that you don't work with and talk about yeah. something that's not work. <laughs> Yeah, even if it's still like in the same industry, because I love talking to people in my industry. Because like I can, you know, my wife, she's not an artist. She loves she loves what I do, and she's very supportive. But I can't tell talk to her about vertices and color correction, and you know why this filmmaker, you know, used this shot and used this lens for this, you know, purpose, uh, things like that. So I I love those times when I get to have all my peers basically from around Dallas, you know, and just come together and we have a beer, you know, it'll be a nerd out session, but I'm like, I really enjoy it. You know, it's one of the few things I actually missed when I lived in LA In LA, a lot of people had a passion for uh, movies. And then there was still a lot more people who uh, worked in the actual industry. So we shared a lot of things. So you'd meet random people and talk, you know, these random, these very nerdy conversations but uh, over here in Texas, you know, you get those, you only probably can find those people, you know, once in a while. So I try to cling to those people as much as I can. I think there is actually a filmmaker mastermind on Meetup. I keep having it pop up on mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one's in like the Dallas slash DFW area. So that's something you could look into if you need another social group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily there are social groups out there in Dallas now that, you know, weren't there like 10 years ago. So like I've worked with a bunch of short guys, which is a creative animation focused um, group. And we get together once a month and we bring in like someone to do a speaker event type of thing. And then we all go have a drink right afterwards and, you know, talk shop for an hour. There's the game dev uh, guys here that I, you know, a lot of our people work in the game industry, so we go to those meetups. Our society of Play or the Video Game Open Coffee Club? Exactly. Uh, there's a girl, Rebecca. She's super nice. Um, she gives us, she talks to us a lot. She's fantastic. I'm sure I'll see her at the winter party in a few months. <laughs> I just hope I can actually go to the winter party. Last year, I couldn't get my shift covered on that day, oh. and it was so sad. Because that was also my birthday. Oh, really? <laughs> so what's your birthday? February 16th. I'm 17th. Oh, nice. It will not be. I, I'll tell you this. It will not be on your birthday. This yeah, year. I know. I am I somehow got on that IG, the local chapter IGDA's um, Discord. Okay. Yeah. And they haven't kicked me off yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just kind of lurking. And every time they, something comes up, I'm like, can I help? Yep. They will always take more help. Um, especially towards the end, uh, just keep on like chiming in. As people in our industry, we're really bad about asking for help because we think we can do everything ourselves. And it's like, okay, who, you know, there's always we always need people. Hey, can somebody go to Seven Eleven and grab some ice? You know, I remember, <laughs> I remember last year there was nothing. You know, the studio where we're having the party at, it's amazing. It's a great studio, and those mm-hmm. guys are amazing. But there's no stores around that area. There's no 7-Elevens. Oh, know? yeah. So, so we had we had sent someone just to grab ice. We didn't see him for an hour and a half. And people were thinking, like, he stole, like, their money. Power. I'm just like, no, there's just nothing around here. And he had to buy ice and a bunch of other things. He needed, like, a Walmart, basically. And yeah. you know, the Walmart was, like, 15 minutes away. Because it's in a warehouse district. Yeah, there, there's, there's not much there. Yeah. I remember um, I helped some of the Let's Play Gaming Expo with the Careers in Gaming panel. I don't know if you were 
Were you at Let's Play this year? No, no. I was in L.A. at the time. I helped out some with the careers and gaming panel, and one of the things I did is the little graphics that they used to announce the different mm -hmm. panelists. I did those. Oh, really? That's great. In Canva. I... <laughs> I, I'm decent at graphic design. It's not my forte, but I, I can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize how many little, when you do those little presentations, how many little slides you need. It, it can be the same format. Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, now I need a format. I need one that says, you know, number two on there, you know, number three on there for whatever reason, you know, or just you know, a slide per person, you know, so. Yeah, you got to make it look good and not have too many words on it and have the right words on it. And you got to make sure the font isn't Comic Sans unless you're doing that for a specific reason, in which case, why? Yeah. <laughs> we try to template that usually. At least yeah. that's my big goal. Our social media stuff is like, just go to the template. Just go to the okay. template. You know, you can move things, be artistic, but 80% just rely on the template. Templates are great. And maybe have like a couple different like options for style, like styles, but have a template for everything. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. Yeah. We totally got off track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, this happens all the time. So you were getting the, you went to get a further degree. Yeah, I went to Art Institute, basically found out exactly what I wanted to do, which was more in the 3D modeling texturing side. Didn't really like the animation side. I respected it, but I was like, yeah, you know, luckily I was pretty easy to find. Like, I wanted to be a modeler, I wanted to be texturing, you know, and that just, you know, kept me going for another year or two. And I graduated. It only took me maybe six months to find a real job. I was doing some freelance little things for, you know, friends, uh, their game, you know, models and things like that, but I was able to get into Archviz. At the time, I didn't know. I was kind of just like, oh, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll do this and we'll see where it goes. But uh, it's kind of turned into my passion. My day job basically is working on these really big city models, helping like engineers and architects explain what their vision is to these city planners who, um, you know, sometimes they want just a pretty picture, but a lot of times they're actually looking for the nuance of exactly how your design is actually going to affect our city and, you know, what's the advantage of building it the way you're saying to build it. That's really cool. <laughs> like I said, it was kind of a weird thing when I first jumped in there. I thought it was going to be really boring. But the more and more I got in there, I was getting on these projects to, like, you know, work on this bridge that would change the downtown, you know, Dallas. And then I would work on this roadway that would change all the North Dallas highways, you know, and you stay there for a few years, you actually see these projects come to fruition. So, you know, the Dallas North Tollway going through, you know, the last 15 miles north, you know, it's like I built all that in my first like two, three years working at that company. And not many people, most people's portfolios are like these tiny little corners, especially if it's outside, you'll see them like drop the camera, you know, on the ground and you'll see maybe a few blocks and then everything else is just, you know, super rudimentary. But we were building miles and miles of buildings and miles of texture. And, you know, we're still talking about the, in the days when most computers, you would be lucky to find a computer with more than eight gigs of RAM. Now our computer at work is 64 gigs. And I think next year it's going to be 128 gigs. So we're pretty lucky. Uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we had to find all these little technical solutions on how to fit these large scenes into those computers. So there was a lot of late nights. Uh, most of the nights were just kind of like, you were just a babysitter. You were just kind of, okay, just watching to make sure nothing blew up. Or after a few times we, we learned like we could walk in and the next morning, like, oh, we only rendered for an hour of this 48 hour render, you know, that was supposed to be happening. So we would lose like 47 hours and we were just like, okay, oh. we need to figure this out. We need to figure a way for us to either be able to watch it log into it i think after a while we start make sure it's actually rendering the entire time instead of stopping yeah yeah things are really reliable now but at that time like we were hitting the threshold all the time you know of what you could fit into those computers yeah uh, now nowadays we can fit almost anything into those computers uh, I, so. I can imagine because well you said you 
designed the part of Dallas North Tollway, like Frisco McKinney area? Yes, yes, definitely that area. I was building that in 3D before they ever broke ground. Basically, if you if you live in that area, there's a Dallas Stars uh, hockey practice center, and we were building that before they ever broke ground there. And that thing's probably like at least ten years old now. So cool. Uh, I think that was my biggest. That was one of my biggest projects at that time. The textures and everything, you know, they didn't look amazing, especially by today's standards. But just to, the fact that we were able to get all that data going into the scene was just the big accomplishment that a lot of people at the time couldn't do. Now we're doing this stuff. You know, we're pushing real time. We're pushing VR. One of my uh, coworkers, he's pushing for AR. Uh, so he's plugging, you know, some of our models into like the iPhone where you just zap it on the ground. And then you can spin a cross section of the road, you know, and a lot of this stuff, we're just trying to figure out, you know, this is a technology. It's super cool. And how can we use, it? you know, how can we use these game technologies, you know, that we've been learning for years? How can we, you know, introduce into our pipeline? Sometimes it's just a speed increase when it comes to like real time. Now we don't have to rely on a three hour render. You know, we can just pop it into Unreal, maybe do some optimizations. And then we can zoom around the project, whereas other times we're looking at it for more like VR purposes where we actually want to walk around the thing and we want to be super optimal with what we're putting in there. But I mean, again, we're always problem solving, you know, so problem solving is a big thing in our field. Yeah, because it kind of sounds to be like you're just sort of digging your own path. Yeah. You're creating your own yeah. path and... But as I am, making it up as you go. Yeah, uh, definitely making it up as we go. You know, nowadays we have a lot of uh, venues that we go into. You know, when we get tasked with a project, we usually ask us, okay, what, you know, there's always the, pro you know, the project need, the project's mission statement, you know, what does the project really, really need? And then we kind of like put another layer wouldn't it be cool if we added this thing to it or we just added this thing, even if it's just like a, I think last month I was asked to just, you know, take a simple still that somebody had done and just pan the camera across and paint out like some of the people in the background. I was like, that's fine. That's cool. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'll get you that in a day. But if you give me another two more days, I can have like the entire thing look like it's in 3D, even though it's all still, you know, images, you know, but I'll just cut things out and after effects and we'll slide things across give it a little parallaxing and you've seen on youtube a thousand times but i was like we haven't done that and we should at least you know look into if we can do that so luckily they were they allow me to do that the show if i find something hey i just want to try it i don't know if this will work for y'all's need but if we have time project allows for it let me try to do this extra thing you know right now i'm working on a big old city uh rebuild of one of our old projects and I'm trying to see like how much of it I can build that can be used in other projects. You know, that's my big goals like on this new project. So, you know, you have all these little side goals on these projects if you have the time. Yeah, there's the basic goal, then you got the stretch goals, the stuff that'll be nice to add, but you gotta get the other right. stuff done first, and then you can make it pretty. And a lot of our stuff, since it's the roadway, we're selling 90% of the time they're focused on the roadway. So I'm building the buildings. I would say probably only, I'd be lucky if 50% of my work gets really showcased, but at least I know it's there. And if you thought this stuff mm -hmm. we see is going to be really close to the camera, then I can go and like make those look really nice and really hot, you know, and do some new things on those things. Yeah, plus having that in your portfolio, I have a feeling it'll be pretty great if you ever decide to move into something else. Cause you know, there are a lot of like video games and like movies and stuff out there where they'll need people who are able to create them. Yes, definitely. I have a mentor, uh, Brett Briley. He actually coined a phrase or just an analogy. You go to a video game uh, job and uh, you may have like three character artists because I mean, anytime on the screen, you're probably only going to have a handful of characters on your screen most of the mm -hmm. time, if even that. So you know, how many guys are really working on that, those characters, you know, for the three years of that project? Yeah. Probably usually like anywhere from five to 15. Mm -hmm. But then the, the environment, the ground, the buildings, the tools they're picking up, all the trash, all the litter, you know, all the textures, 
you know, the sky, the background buildings, you know, the water, all this stuff has to be modeled and created uh, by these texture artists, model uh, environment artists. So we always tell uh, kids, especially uh, if you want to get in there, go for the jobs that they're going to need 50 or 100 people. It's nice to go for that job that's only five people can do, but um, you can be realistic about it. Like, okay, well, this is where I'm going to start here, and then I'm move into character, you know, design work or character concept work, you know, because they still need all these bolts and everything built. It's cool to do the niche stuff. Yeah. But you also need to be able to do the other stuff that's going to be more long-term. Yeah. And both, I mean, for me, I'm like, I'm talking like environment art is like, something you start at but i mean you can be in that forever and i don't for me i don't mind if i'm in there forever at this point in my career you know i've branched that into other venues of like okay well now i know how like this prop or this item works now i want to build this whole room of items and then i want to build this whole city of items and i want to build this whole urban area of items you can either keep on just branching into that or like we were just talking about you could branch that into Okay, well, I've already proved that I can do this job. Let me prove I can do the character job. Start with, like, their armors. Start with the helmets and then work your way to the actual character. Yeah, because with the game, if your character doesn't look right, the player's going to have a really hard time. But also you have to have the good environment so the the player's not just like, what even is this? Exactly. So how... How did you get involved with a bunch of short guys? Um, I love that name so much. <laughs> so in case anybody doesn't know, a bunch of short guys, well, we kind of talked about it earlier, but I got involved. I knew about them in school. This is also something that we preach a lot more now. We didn't preach it enough back in the day, I don't believe. Uh, but like I was saying earlier, there's not a lot of people in Dallas that do this type of work. It's really hard to go and just meet random folks that do this type of work. Yeah. Uh, but I knew about a bunch of short guys, so when I kind of went every now and then. Later, after like being in the industry for a few years, that's when I really started going to there. Um, and they just saw that I was really interested, that I had a drive to be there and help out more. And you know, I have a passion for talking about this stuff. Like I said, just because like I don't get to talk about this stuff to anyone else, so. When I get to talk about it, I'm just on a soapbox for like two hours talking about this stuff. Yeah, because there's explaining it to someone that doesn't know, but then there's talking to someone who actually gets it. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I had a drive to be around that. And they saw that I was around a lot. So they just asked, you know, hey, would you be interested in volunteering? And I was like, yeah. And then I kept them, you know, like I was saying, just asking them, hey, what else do you need? Or I can help with this thing. Or you know, would y'all, you know, like this? And, uh, you know, they were just looking for opportunity. I was just looking for opportunities where I could step in and help more uh, left and right. And um, they just, you know, they were really nice about it. Just, you know, bringing me on like, hey, would you mind taking on this responsibility? Would you mind taking on this responsibility? And the more responsibilities I got, the more we were able to grow the brand. I was able to get some of my friends on there. And I've just used it as a good networking tool. And, you know, now I have a big branch of folks that I can basically like, hey, I can't do this work. Can I pass it on to you? Or, hey, I have this idea for this short film. Would you mind just consulting with me and just so I can question, you know, other people's ideas on this thing? So it's been an amazing avenue for me just to, you know, just to meet other folks, network with other people. Like Amp Studios, we're talking about now I have a nice rapport with a studio here in Dallas, one of the you know, best filming studios in Dallas that if I ever need any stuff, any camera work or anything, I know where to go to. Definitely. There is no overemphasizing how important it is to just like know people. Mm-hmm. And now with the internet, I mean, I feel a lot more comfortable now. I, I can just email like just random artists and be like, hey, how'd you do this? And then start a relationship with that person. Oh, that was really cool. You know, I'm going to try to do that same thing you did, but I'm going to change it a little bit. Is that okay? And then they'll be really interested on what you're doing. Uh, You'll show interest in what they're doing. And then you'd be surprised how many of these people have become just like friends of mine. Like I'll meet at conferences and we'll just shake a hand. But oh yeah, I'm that guy that was asking you about that thing. It's it's amazing how many friends you can make on the internet. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you can see how many people are on this Discord server, but um, actually, let me double check before I say this. 
Yeah, I've never actually met any of these people online before. <laughs> in in, in my life before I met. I met like most of them through Twitter. You should have like a channel meetup. It'll be like, hey guys, I'm going to be over here next month. If anybody wants to come out, if you're in town, you should come. Well, you know, once I, once my podcasts take off and I start making a lot of money from it, well, life go. But even if that doesn't happen, I'll probably still do this anyway, just because... I like helping talking to people and getting their stories and helping tell their stories. I'm like, I also really look forward to the day when I get to meet these people. Yes, definitely. I mean, more voices to this conversation is always a good thing. Yeah. Cause it's there, there are people just getting started out and there are some people like you who have been at it for a while, but when you want to create something, whether it's art, a new business, you want to write anything where people look at you and you're and they're like are you sure you want to do that (laughs) it's it's hard to create it's hard to do something new so i'm like i want to help people be like hey they did it maybe i can too exactly my other show i just interview people's dnd characters because that's just (laughs) so much fun i mean it's never wrong to put what's what you're passionate about at the forefocus of your life yeah if you like dnd podcast about dnd you like art talk about art you know yeah it's just like there's this weird thing that if it's not what everyone considers to be a normal job and you need to like get a real one Mm -hmm. it's like how do you make money doing that (laughs) well you do it really well and people pay you (laughs) yeah so go ahead what are some of the challenges you have faced yeah one of my biggest challenges uh, especially early on i'm dyslexic and i had a really I had this boss at who was really a stickler about he being quoted back word for word for word. And he really hated uh, the idea of I if I had to ask him questions after he had told me like a 30 minute conversation, he would show me some weird engineering program and be step by step by step. Click on this thing, click on this thing. 50 clicks later, he asked, okay, tell me exactly what I just showed you. I'm like, okay, well, I can read my notes. He's like, no, you're supposed to already know this. I just showed it to you. I'm like, does it work? Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, that's really hard for just anyone to do, I would think. And then taking in my dyslexia of like, okay, I need to take super great notes. That's what that taught me, though, is that I need to take super great notes, work on my handwriting because I can read my own handwriting because I'm a guy. Guys have poor penmanship. Sometimes, but there are also some days where I'll start writing something and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what to, no, no, this is bad. I can't read my own handwriting. This is bad. <laughs> my mom's never going to let me live this down. Although it has made me be the guy, I, I do sometimes, you know, I have post-it notes. I write, you know, these weird numbers at work, you know, because I work with engineering data a lot. I'll, I'll sit there and write five different post-it notes with the same information on it because I'm like, oh no, I I won't be able to read this later. Oh no, I need to write it exactly the way. So I, now it's turned me into more of a stickler of exactly what, especially if it's something I need to read later on. I usually just kind of end up typing a lot of my notes because I'm like, I may misspell it, but I can still read it. <laughs> I need to get better on the OneNote. I, I've started doing like OneNotes and little reminder things but uh i need to get better a better system going on when it comes to that i've i've got like three different sticky notes going on for different stuff for podcast stuff i've got one for like writing sample stuff that i need to work on i have one where i just kind of throw stuff on it so i won't lose it i'm also most people if it's not written down in about three different places it probably doesn't actually exist I totally forgot that I was going to be hopping on Discord for a D&D session after I get off work on Saturday and made movie plans. And my friends are talking about it again. I was like, oh, crap. Sorry, guys. Yep. I feel so bad now. I will say that that's another thing that that job did teach me is that um, being better about scheduling. Because I'm an artist, uh, I mean, putting things to just an item list is hard enough for us. But then when you start talking about like tasks that are supposed to take 15 minutes and then you have like 20 of those tasks, you know, all that adds up to a full day's worth of work. But as artists, we're just kind of like looking at the bigger picture, but we're not 
thinking about like, oh, I need to add, you know, this little bottom foot to this pole. And then I need to, you know, maul this pole. And then I need to spread it out 50 times into very specific places, you know. And um, this job is, you know, they were very engineering corporate leaders there. So they had pretty much nailed down the way of like scheduling things. Uh, so it kind of taught me like, okay, I need to allow 15 minutes for this, 10 minutes for this task, you know, one hour for this task. And then, you know, I would learn, you know, okay, I need a 15 minutes really means 30 minutes. 30 minutes means 45 minutes, you know, two hours probably means three hours, you know, and just these little things of like, okay, overestimate your time. Because you never know when something's going to go wrong and then you're going to have to yeah. troubleshoot. If you're on a project that only has 40 hours or, you know, a lot of projects, you know, at that time were probably only like 12 hours. And when you're talking about like something taking you an hour, now it's taking you three hours. You just ate 20% of that budget in just that one task. And then let's say you have two more slowdowns in your project. That job did help me, you know, schedule things a lot, just on a daily basis at work. And now with like Google Chrome and calendars, you look at my calendar, my calendar's usually pretty scheduled out. Um, I have like areas where I kind of just like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but in this two hour dead zone, something's going to happen where I can just put more time into either if I'm working on stuff or maybe I just want to pay bills during this time or but I, I mean, I have schedules. My my wife thinks I'm crazy because I'm like, she asks, okay, well, we got to clean the house. I'm like, okay, well, we can do it between 10 and 1 p.m. You know, so those three hours. She's like, what do you mean? It's like, no, no, because at 9 o'clock I'm waking up. I'm taking a shower. At 9.15 I'm on the grass mowing my lawn. And then at 10 o'clock I'll make it back in the house and I'll do it. So I have everything just like in this domino effect. Uh, but it really does help you. You get so much done and you learn so much about yourself. You learn, why am I not getting work done? Oh, I'm not getting work done because it takes me an hour to cook. Okay, well, how can I fix this? So like you were saying, it, it doesn't exist unless you write it down, but you can't problem solve it unless you have an accountable you know, record of like what we're slowing you down to begin with. And the more you can look at that, the more you just be frank with yourself. You know, It's all for yourself. It's not like that you're going to post on Facebook and say, hashtag fail. It's so you can make yourself better. I've had friends that they got into this mode. They they saw like a 50% improvement in their workload because they were just learning, you know, all these little things that they could fix in their lives when they could work out, when they, they actually found that they did have more time than they were thinking. Or maybe they were looking at that they were like sitting on the couch and they were watching eight hours of TV in a day, which, you know, they were just like, no, no, I don't watch that much TV. I'm like, well, the schedule shows differently. So figure this out, you know, maybe record all your you know shows and then you can just run through the commercials instead of just scrolling through the channels, which we all do, but... So I do watch some TV, but I'm usually like working on stuff while I watch TV, but it's usually not work stuff. It's more like personal projects because I have this wonderful habit of I don't stop working until like 10 o'clock at night when my brain literally can't take anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, I feel like I should probably stop doing that, but it's, it's all about finding balance and being aware and like paying attention to how you're doing your day. And it really is about just finding that balance, uh, making yourself do some of the hard things. So then later you feel better about your day. You know, I try to do an hour walk every day just so I feel better that I, you know, no matter what I went outside, you know, I got some nice fresh air, you know, vitamin D on my skin. Actually left the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I leave the house every day, but I mean, I work in a really cold office. So going outside, it oh, yeah. feels even in the Texas hundred degree weather, when it's uh, when I'm like freezing inside work, the twenty minute walk feels so amazing in the middle of the day. You walk outside, you're like ah, warm. Mm -hmm. Twenty minutes later, you walk back inside, ah, cold. Mm -hmm. I like nice jackets. Same. I'm, I'm a human popsicle. Mm -hmm. So if I ever get back into an office environment, I'm like, I'm gonna need some nice sweaters. What's a piece of advice or something you wish someone had told you starting out? I mean, we've already talked about scheduling, but I think the other thing is um, really evaluate your internships or your free jobs a little more. Even if it's free work or your internships, don't be necessarily just putting it off and saying no to it. 
automatically. I actually really look at it. Um, I think those key relationships you make early on will definitely help you uh, uh, greater dividends down the line. And the more people you're exposed to, the more different work styles. I think a lot of that helps. I, if anything that I wish I did was take some of these internships, you know, I had offers to work at like id software, you know, some of these bigger studios uh, where I would have been critiqued by like a hundred artists, you know, on a weekly basis. You really can't put a, a monetary value on that. So you could look at different ways of how would you make that work? Oh, I need to make money. So, okay, well, would working part-time on the weekend work or how much can you work on, you know, your credit card? You know, I know a guy who he put a $15,000 loan on him so he could take the internship of a lifetime. And from there he was set. So, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you go, everyone goes to school and spends way too much, but this stuff actually does pay in different ways than money sometimes, especially in those early days. So you can look at little things like that. Maybe, you know, talk to your parents. If you're just getting out of school, you're probably still on their dime in some form or fashion. Maybe you don't have to move out right away. Maybe you can stay a little longer. Also, it's perfectly normal to live with your parents for a while after graduating. Definitely. Definitely. I I, I will just say I know people that moved out and they had to move back in. And if they just stayed in, they would have been fine to begin with. So Would have been able to get out and stay out earlier. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the the whole moving, like get moving out and getting a place of your own in college. I'm like, I feel like that comes from a time back when jobs were where the cost of living wasn't as high, mm-hmm. and there were a lot more jobs that were easily available that you just walk up and say, "Hey, hire me," and the people actually do. Yeah. Instead of just being like, um, "No." That 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 day that day is gone. <laughs> that day is gone. I can guarantee that. Do not email people with the email, hey, I'm looking for work. If you're in the industry for long enough, just send them a, just send them a portfolio like, hey, would you mind critiquing my work? That's all the difference it is. Uh, I actually got an email from somebody just, somebody just going, hey, I'm a 3D artist. Would you hire me? That was literally the message. There was no link. There was no resume. I didn't know the person. I had no way of knowing how I could help him. Um, then he responded. He noticed I didn't respond. So he just responded. I was just seeing if you could help me get into the industry. And I go, great. What do you do? Just try to put the point of like, you didn't put anything there for me to respond to. Yeah. And it's like going up to a girl of like that you never met at a bar and going, how do I date you? You know, just like, okay, that's creepy and kind of weird. And nobody wants to you know, form that relationship. Yeah. The answer to that is very quickly lie or just be like, um, you right. don't, and then walk away. Or just like, just like, um, uh, uh, pardon me, I think I, I forgot. I have to go sh- shave my pet mongoose that's on fire. Just <laughs> <laughs> run. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know where I saw that, but I love it, so I'm still using it. Anytime you can put a mongoose into your conversation, that's a good thing. Exactly. <laughs> so about like sticking bad puns into conversations. Exactly. <laughs> and snark. Anytime I can be snarky. Hashtag mongoose. <laughs> I think, was there any other advice that I wish I had early on? Or that you would just give to anyone if they were to come up and just like general advice that you wish maybe that you wish people nowadays knew. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I see a lot of people do is um, especially when it comes to the artists, uh, we go into a lot of these branching different, we're trying to learn new software. We're trying to draw, we're trying to take photography. We're doing like 50. It seems like sometimes where you have our heads going in 50 different directions. And I would say just like, Really look at what you want to do. If you want to be an animator, if you want to be a lighting artist, if you want to be a filmmaker, look at these things that you really want to do and um, let that inform your decisions. Because I feel like sometimes we're just adding on to a pile of just knowledge, but we have no direction or we're taking that pile, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, just knowing things, but not particularly getting good at any one thing. Or developing like a real passion. Mm-hmm. 
you have to get good at one thing. I mean, that's especially in the beginning. I mean, now I can call myself a, a pretty decent a 3D generalist, but that was after years of becoming a good modeler. And then I became a good texture artist, you know, and then I became deep. Now I've become decent at color correction, you know, but I'm still feeding all these 3D modeling tools that I really want to do. But I'm also, you know, I know like the next three steps that I'm taking, the next softwares I'm learning or the next uh, R&D projects I'm doing, because I know what that thing I want to do in two years, you know, or that thing I want to do in six months, you know, by having those goals, you know, these little intermediate goals you kind of get informed about what your next few little steps should be. But if you don't have that overarching goal, you really won't know. Kind of write that down, especially like if you want to start, and I don't mean just, you know, so many people will tell me, I just want to get a job. I'm like, well, really nail it down. What type of job do you want to get? You know, and then what will get you that job? And then, you know, what do you, what can you do tomorrow that'll get you that job? Is it working on your resume? Is it, you know, maybe it's very small. Need You need to get another job so you can, like, afford to live while you're trying to get this job. Right. Well, I mean, like, let's say, okay, you're trying to become, like, a, a video game artist of some type. Mm-hmm. You know, but you need to pay your bills today. Well, what job that you need to take today that will allow you to be able to do that RD to get you that other job? For me, it was, uh, I waited tables a lot. I waited tables so I could work from like five o'clock on a Friday all the way to Sunday at midnight. And I would pull in a decent weekly wage uh, compared to all my friends who were clocking in every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But then they were also taking in the time to transport themselves there. You know, so the hour in traffic, you know, well, I wasn't dealing with that. I was just dealing with three commutes, whereas they were dealing with five commutes. And it really, that time suck that people don't look at a lot, yeah. you know, and then like, okay, while I'm at this job, maybe, uh, maybe I can do some homework while I'm on my break. You know, can I bring my notebook, you know, up there? Or maybe you can work at a job where, you, you know, it's not very busy. I worked at a uh, fitness gym when I was in high school and I could draw you know, on Saturday and Sunday. So I took the Saturday and Sunday shifts all the time because I could draw on the weekends um, because it wasn't really busy. They paid decently. So, I mean, there's just these different little steps that you can look at and like, okay, is this really helping me get to that next step? You know, even though, yeah, that job, that waiting tables, that working at the front desk, that might not really be helping you right now. But it's giving you the money and the financial stability to where you can breathe and focus on what you really want to do. It is, but I mean, it's also helping like, okay, well, versus working at somewhere else, because I mean, I don't like saying just for money because there's tons of things you can do just for money. You know, I can, you can go mow lawns just for money. You can, you could go sell, you know, fitness, you know, powders on the side just for money. What's going to leave you time for your other passions? Yeah. That's really the other thing. Like I said, if you have that goal in mind of what you actually want to do, maybe there's some artist mentor that will devote his time, but his time is only on five to nine o'clock. So you need to take a job that is not five to nine o'clock. You need to take a job that works in the day and you will ask yourself, well, which is more important. But uh, I just see a lot of people make random decisions just because like, oh, it's a paycheck. Well, guess what? If it's just a $10 an hour job, Mm-hmm. There's five thousand ten dollar an hour jobs. There's only like thirty three D artist jobs mm-hmm. in uh, Dallas, maybe at one time. You can you have a lot of uh, flexibility when it comes to like those, you know, yeah. just getting the bills paid jobs. Another thing I would tell people is when they go to these meetups and you know you get someone's card, make sure you contact that person. They gave you their card for a reason. So even if it's just like you have nothing to show them. But just say, hey, thank you for talking to me. And now it's in your email. Everyone's got Gmail or some form of good email service nowadays. So you can make yourself a little reminder saying, I'm going to check up with this guy in a month. You know, even if it's just uh, ask him what he's working on. But maybe you can just say, hey, I've been working on this. Would you give me your opinion? And then keep these conversations going for when you are ready to actually like when you have that magnum opus of a piece of art you know now you can say what do you think who should i show this to you know are you a good person but you know you're building this up you know yeah. this relationship up instead of just coming off and saying 
I got your card now. That means you can give me a job, or which is not really the way to do it. No. And then a lot of these people, they'll give you. I know people show me their portfolio, and I'll make. I'll say, oh well, try doing this, and try doing this, and try doing this. The way to really show that you took uh, advantage of their advice is do the thing in a month or so. Do the thing. Show show them you did the thing, and show them that you can do it. Yeah. You know? And another cool thing um, that has recently been added to Dima, because like my mom always told me that if I was emailing someone about something, a good way to make sure it's at the top of their inbox when they get in in the morning is email them before eight or very late the last night, so it'll be at the top of their inbox. And there's a new thing on Gmail where you can schedule an email to go out at eight a.m. the next day, which is yep. Very useful. There's a somebody showed me. I can't remember the thing on my because Gmail has like update. And I think every time Gmail updates, you have to redo your um, plugins. Yeah. For your extensions, but there is an extension out there. I'll see if I can forward it to you. Where it's a happy smiley face on the side, and it will like get sad if you're not answering enough emails. Oh Fast my enough. gosh, I love that. But. But I mean, it's really great for those people that need to get through 50 emails, you know, or something. It's just a nice little hack. There's a new thing. If you have Grammarly, because I use the free version of Grammarly, and there's a thing when you're writing an email. I I think it's a Grammarly thing, but when you're writing an email, it'll let you know what the tone of the email sounds like. If you're sounding friendly, if you're sounding appreciative, if you're sounding like you're being very professional. I think, and I think it's like looking at the words you're using. It's a new thing that they're trying. Really? Yeah, I just noticed that recently. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Since I do a lot of writing stuff, it does help to have Grammarly because I don't always notice as I'm typing something that that is incorrect. But there are other times where I'm looking at it and I'm like, because sometimes I use weird words in my writing and Grammarly does not understand. <laughs> Downside of being a writer, most of the words you use aren't actually words. <laughs> and there's all kinds of like fantastic tools out there. Yeah, yeah. An Incomplete Guide to World Domination is directed and produced by Brianna Toyber as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. Music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. You can find more of his work at chesterstudios.net. If you would like to help support our show, you can find us at patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it. For more information on the other shows produced by Pseudonym Social, please check out our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com.